Okay. Well, a uh, few things going on here. It's the last week of the fast. Okay, I can tell who's fasting. Five people are fasting because uh, if you were, you'd be pretty excited about it. It's the last week. Um, you know, uh, if you have not uh, been able to fast or uh, just uh, your life's been so crazy, find a way to do something this week, okay? Uh, start on Monday morning and just find a way to make these seven days count. I mean, something. If, it, it, you know, if it's the fast, that would, um, the Daniel fast, if you want to do social media, if you want to fast a meal a day, just something for seven days and see what happens, all right? It's worth it, okay? So you have seven days make it count. Sound good? You're not going to do it, are you? <laughs> That's okay. It's fine. Uh, Bishop Duku wants you guys to know that, that uh, he is now home safe in uh, South Africa. I think he texted me at 3 a.m. to tell me. I was like, glad, good. Uh, for Bishop, I think it takes him two days, I think, to get home. So it's flight, 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 flight. So it's, it's a lot of fun for him. Uh, we had quite a time in Chicago. Um, highlights, I can't even tell you all of them. One highlight was, um, who's heard, um, who has heard of the Hancock Tower in Chicago? Hancock Tower. Okay, you have the Sears Tower. Okay, so I was up in the Hancock Tower uh, all the way to the top, and it's kind of odd feeling to go that many flights in like 20 seconds. And when you just kind of like feel like a slight, that's crazy. Well, I was up there, you know, it's a great view, all that, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I go to head down and the elevator opens. I'm all by myself. And I realize that this elevator is pitch black. And there is like cold air flying out of this thing. And normally they have bellmen, right? You know, yeah, right? Okay. No one's in it. It's pitch black. Me being me, I step right in. I don't know why. Step right in, push floor. It closes. Pitch black. And it just starts to drop, right? And, and so, so I start to laugh out loud. I'm just laughing. I, I mean, I'm not sure why, but it just seemed like the perfect horror movie, right? Something bad is about to happen. Anyways, so we hit the ground level. Doors open. The bellmen look in there with absolute terror. <laughs> so, you know, with me, you know, I walk out. The next two guys try to walk in. The guys grab them and say, no, we don't use that one. <laughs> so, I'm not sure what to think about that encounter, but it, you know, it's quite fun. Uh, it was great. Highlight of my trip, right? We did the TV in Africa show. Uh, that was actually scarier for me. Uh, yes, uh, it went okay, I guess. It, 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 it was worth the experience, and everyone there was really nice about everything. You did a great job. They did say that to everyone, but, you know, I just assumed they're really honest, you know. They're Christians, so, you know, we'll see what happens there. Um, the last day... Uh, my, who, who was it? My professor was supposed to meet me for lunch. So I show up at the restaurant, I send him a text, hey, I'm here. He doesn't show, but some random guy named John, he sits down with me and he says, are you from Chicago? Okay. No. Well, four hours later, he leaves my table. Uh, 
And, I, and about four hours and five minutes later, my professor sends me a text, I just got your message. Now what happened with John was uh, just a really kind of a crazy situation. Uh, I spent four hours with him, uh, learned his life story. We prayed together, uh, talked about Jesus and his kingdom. And, you know, just kind of one of those God things that just kind of just felt so right, right? And so, you know, and honestly, that was the highlight, I think, of my trip. Uh, four hours with John, and, and uh, he made me promise him that, that every time I come back to the Chicago era, I have to call him so he can take me for pizza every time. Sound good? Let's go ahead and pray before we jump into it. Father, we're here this morning. We love you. <sighs> Lord, uh, the hardest thing for us is to fully embrace you, especially in the areas and the ways that make us uncomfortable, especially in the areas and the ways that make us have to give something up. And so in this area, in this place today, uh, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to work on our hearts and our minds, that we would be willing to follow you, Lord Jesus, into every place, no matter the comfort level or the cost. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are on week three of uh, How to Be a Loser. That's a great title, by the way, if you guys didn't know. How to Be a Loser. Uh, the basic context of the series is this, okay? It, it's simple. What the world sees as winning, the kingdom of heaven sees as losing. What the kingdom of heaven sees as winning, the world sees as losing. That's kind of the way it works, okay? Um, the Gospels are full of these parables and metaphors where Jesus is basically trying to explain to form a picture of what it's like to live in the kingdom of heaven, what it's like to follow Jesus in the place that he's going to go. And, you know, the one statement he, he puts throughout the scriptures, he says, and of course, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And so uh, for three weeks now, we've been trying to figure out what does it look like for us to embrace this lifestyle of following Jesus? What does it look for us to win in the kingdom of heaven? And of course, to be willing to lose, if you would, in this life. Uh, what's so hard for us in this entire race, if you would, is that in this world, we are built to think about now. We're built to think about the next five years, the next 10 years, 30 years. We are trained to think that we have so many years of prime life. You're a child, you have prime life, and then you are old and heading to the grave. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't say it was true. I said that's what you were taught to believe. Stay with me now. <laughs> no throwing Bibles or cell phones. Okay. We are taught that the goal is to find a way to have the best prime years possible. How can we retire with enough years left to enjoy the money that we've saved up? How can we have a great life now. And what's so difficult and challenging about the kingdom of God, about the way of Christ, is that his challenge is, are you willing to give up this life now, trusting me that there will be a life after this life? Are you willing to risk sacrificing this life now to follow me in the promise that I will give you 
a thousand years, ten thousand years, a million years, eternity, a life with no end. In order to embrace the resurrection of Jesus, we have to be willing to embrace the cross of Jesus, the death of Jesus. Okay? So, in this process, it's challenging for us. And, and so, one of the ways that the world and the kingdom are different from each other is that the world sees independence as winning, right? We are American, agreed? We don't need no EU, right? We don't need Canada. Come on, be honest. We don't even need Texas. <laughs> Come on, this is Arkansas, okay. Mercy. We see independence as strength. We are self-dependent. We need me. We have everything we need inside this circle. And so... This kind of a bigger picture thing is the way that we live our lives. We find a way to be self-sufficient, okay? Um, if you are 40 years old living in your parents' basement, you are not self-sufficient, right? Not independent yet, okay? And so this world would not exactly say, winner, <laughs> you're doing so good. You have a futon in your mom's basement. You got Xbox, you Prime candidate, right? Yeah. He's the next bachelor. <laughs> we would say the opposite. Now, I'm not saying that the kingdom of heaven wants you to be futoning it in your parents' basement. That's not what I'm saying. Just get the gist, okay? We see independence as winning, as strength. Now, in the kingdom of heaven, it's designed the opposite way. In the world, we try to make our lives safe. What that means is this, we want to find a way to be so self-sufficient that we can control and pick and choose who we let into our lives. Because see, if I don't need anyone, then I'm not forced to bring anyone in. And so now, if I am self-sufficient, I now have the ability to be very careful who I choose to be friends with, uh, who comes over to my house, who we go out to eat with, um, who I spend time with texting or watching a game. I am very selective. And the only people who I will let into my circle are people who are safe. People who I can enjoy them, but they're not going to mess with things. Not going to come over to my house and just start, you know, messing with stuff. They're not going to come into my life and just start messing with things. They are, they will let me be who I am, stay the way I am, okay? And it's safe. And so the reason most of us really love church on Sunday mornings is because, first of all, it's short. <laughs> the preacher doesn't go long, of course, right? Yeah. It's supposed to be short, <laughs> right? And, it's, and the only contact I have to have is shaking hands. Maybe. If I'm really good, then... I can use my wife as like a shield, <laughs> right? Oh, I've got kids. I'm sorry. I can't. Sorry, I got to go. I got, I got kids. They're crying. I have a wife. She's in the car. See you guys. I got to go. And so what happens in our lives is the worse things get, the more that our life becomes unstable, the more we begin to withdraw from people. 
The first thing we see with people is when they begin to go through trouble, they begin to disappear in the seats on Sunday mornings. Because what happens is, is when you can't control your life, it makes it even harder to be able to control how other people see you and how, and how other people interact with you. So I just don't have things quite together yet, but I'll be back in a couple weeks. The next challenge we have at church is serving, right? Who wants to serve? I don't want to serve. I'm a really good number one. I'm a really terrible number two. You can ask him. I'm a terrible executive pastor. I'm a pretty decent pastor. I'm an awful volunteer. Because if you're not doing it the way I think it needs to be done... I am gracing you with my presence. You better tread lightly. <laughs> you can give me suggestions, but you're not going to tell me what to do. <laughs> yes, amen, everybody. Everyone's like, I don't like this guy. We're leaving. I mean, honestly, I, I'm probably still a, a really bad volunteer, just to be honest. The next thing that's hard for us is small groups, right? Let me be as honest as I can be. If for some reason I had to step down today and we had to go find a new church to attend, I would avoid everything that involves contact with people. Come on, I mean, let's be honest. Now, the Holy Spirit might work on me and my wife might help the Holy Spirit, right? And, 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 you know, I might be thrust into a relationship with people. We're going to a small group whether you like it or not. Okay, okay, stuff like that. But if I had my own way, when we go visit churches, what do I do? <laughs> Please, usher, don't talk to me. Yes, I know it's a great day. I don't need to know your name. <laughs> I know this is terrible. I know it's terrible. Just, I know. Honey, can you check the child in? <laughs> yes, I'm terrible, I know. This Sunday is for me, okay? Will you Sunday is for me. It makes me as uncomfortable as possible. If I had my way, I would find the fastest route to sit down, and I would leave a little early, and I would just get everything I need and I would avoid as much contact as possible if I had it to myself. Now, most of you are not as bad as I am, but somewhere inside of us, there is this tendency to where we understand that if I'm going to take care of myself, I have to be a little bit defensive. I have to have my walls up. I have to be careful who I spend my time with. I have to be careful who I let talk to me. I have to be careful who I share things with. Because experience has taught us that we can be hurt at all times by all people at all places. But there are a few places that you can get hurt as much as church. Right? So, what my, my brain tells me this culture tells me this. When, I'm, when you're walking on the street, you walk fast and you look down. I love Chicago. I love big cities because it lets me be my natural self. I can put my head down, walk really fast, and no one's going to talk to me. 
Oh, it's, it's so bad. I, I should not say these things. When you get on to the train, the tram, hold it and put your head down. No eye contact. And I was doing so good in Chicago of doing that. I told myself I was talking to God. <laughs> then I went to Chick-fil-A, I had my eyes up, and someone said hello, and I stopped to talk to him. And he sat with me for four hours. <laughs> the one person I talked to the entire time. How does that even happen? Check into my car in a hotel online, didn't have to talk to anybody. But the one guy I talked to four hours, that's what happens. Yeah, sounds like God, right? That is what happens. That's the risk that we take when we are willing to see people. We just might get stuck. For better or worse. And see, what culture tells us is that it's okay to take care of you. It's okay to take care of yourself. It's okay to be picky on who your friends are. It's okay to be picky on who you, you know, invite to your home. All these different types of things. That's what the world tells us. And again, think about the way this world works, okay? At the inauguration, okay? All the people who, you know, the cameras were looking at all the people who were sitting in seats. All the people here either have lots of money or lots of power. And let me tell you something. The people who are winners in this world, who have lots of power and who have lots of money, are very selective who's in their circles. There are only certain people that are allowed to be around them, to talk to them, and spend time with them. In this world, when we are successful, we become the gatekeepers of who is in our lives. And we don't have time for anybody else. One of the keys to being a very successful pastor of a large church is you have to learn how to limit your time with people. You have to find a way to make other people available so that you can seclude yourself. Because you know what? The church needs you to make decisions and to preach. They don't need you to, to spend time with them, to eat with them, to show up to their hospital room when they're sick. A big church needs you to just do what you're best at. That's what this world leads us into. The more successful we are, the more picky we get to be with who's in our life. The kingdom does not work this way. The kingdom works the opposite way. The more we grow in Christ, the more that we begin to live in the kingdom and to succeed, if you would, in the kingdom lifestyle, the more we begin to follow Jesus, the more that we begin to give up our right to be picky on who gets our time and who gets our attention and who gets our lives. If you notice the, the most controversial, when it comes to Jesus, he had two things that were extremely controversial. The first one was at when it finally leaked out that he believed that he was the Son of God, that was pretty controversial. They didn't like that very much. But the second thing that everyone had issue with Jesus about was who he spent his time with. They said, he's the one who eats with sinners. And the people who had problems with it were all the other people in power because everyone in power knows that you only sit down with people in power. Everyone who's a winner knows you only spend time with winners. 
Everyone with money knows you spend time with people with money. That's the way this culture drives us to think. And Jesus was constantly pushing those circles out of his life and making room in his life for all of the wrong people. Fast forward to the birth of the church, the book of Acts. We get this practice called Eucharist. We call it communion. What we do here normally takes us about five to ten minutes. But what you need to know about this practice is that Eucharist actually comes from a practice called love feasting. And the idea of this was every time, every single day, Christians would gather together and they would have a meal. They would call it a love feast. And it would last for hours. Worship of God started with this, with sitting down, making time, making room for each other. Then in the Scriptures, the only corrections we have uh, where the Apostle Paul gets very angry about communion, he says, you are doing it wrong, and the way you are doing it is it's a mockery to Christ. You cannot continue this. He was correcting the fact that they began to have cliques. Those with power, those with education, those with money began to, to come to their own tables, have lots of food, and they would not share it. And all those who are outsiders, who are poor, Gentiles had to go to their own table, and they wouldn't have nearly, if you would, the food and drink that the other tables had. Fundamentally, the church has to start at one basic step. Your growth in Christ starts at one very simple step. Learning to open your life to these people. It is the hardest thing for us American Christians to learn. The hardest thing. This is where we grow. This is where the Spirit begins to move. They understood that celebration and scriptures and singing all of that was encapsulated in one practice, sitting down and eating meals together. Because they knew that that was the place where all the stuff that was only head knowledge and all the stuff that was just songs, that's where they had to practice it. That's where their hearts were tested, if you would. That's where all these ideas had to be practiced. And that's where all the, the real stuff inside began to come out. Well, I don't like that person. That person's a jerk, and this person's an idiot, and I don't want to sit by this person. I want to go sit with that person. And this guy's really awkward. I don't have anything to talk about with this person. Come on. And that person offended me. I'm going to go to the other side of the room because that person's over there. Trust me, guys, if all the people who offended me and who have left the church, if I couldn't be around them, I would never go to Walmart. I promise you, it's part of pastoring in a small town. So I go to Walmart just at 1 a.m., <laughs> and I still see them. <laughs> Confession Sunday, I guess, right? All right, if you guys are taking notes, um, here's one of the things about it. You know, it's important for us to understand this. All things leave marks on us, meaning... We want to, to, to stay in a safe environment. But you have to understand this. The way that life works 
every single thing around you, your job, uh, your friends, your coworkers, your family, your enemies, your neighbors, strangers, circumstances, everything that happens around us, it affects us in some way. It leaves a mark, okay? Whether we like it or not, life is messy and sharp. We will be affected by conflict, disappointment, and pain. This is a fact of life. You cannot fully isolate yourself. You cannot ever fully protect yourself from experiencing pain from other people. It's impossible. And so what happens for us in life is we just kind of bounce around. Uh, have you guys um, ever seen a football practice before? Um, certain drills where the guys will hold the pads and you have to run through and they're just, you know, just hitting the guys they go through. And, like you see them just kind of bouncing through. That's what life is for most of us. We're kind of aimlessly just kind of bouncing off of one bad experience into another. And these things form us, and they shape us, and they affect us, and they change the way we see the world. They change the way we see ourselves. They change the way that we see life. And what happens in the church and the kingdom is this. We are supposed to accept this truth, but we're supposed to do something different with it. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote this book. It's called The Great Divorce. And the opening chapters, this guy, you know, he dies. And the idea is that he gets to kind of see hell and heaven. But what happens in between is there's this place on the outside of heaven called paradise. And what happens is when he lands in paradise, he finds that everything feels sharp to him. The grass, the water, the stones... He, so, like, you know, he's, he's trying to walk, but he can't. His feet are bleeding. He's in pain because everything seems to have, like, more matter, if you would. Everything is more solid than he is. So everything feels sharp. And so he's bleeding on his feet. He's hurting. He's in pain. So he sits down, and the angel, you know, uh, comes to explain it to him. The idea is that he has to walk through paradise to get to heaven. It's, it's an image of, of the fact that he needs to be prepared to live in the kingdom. He's not ready yet. There's some learning and some growing that needs to take place in his life. And what happens is every step of his, of, of his growth hurts and it's painful. But this process is what strengthens him. Um, who here wears shoes all the time? You, you hate sandals? You always want socks on, shoes on? Amen to all of you, geniuses. Sandals are from the devil. I hate sandals. Blah. She loves them. She wears them all the time. There's one downside to wearing socks and shoes all the time. You get baby feet, right? They're just so soft and tender, right? And so like the moment that you go to the beach in Florida, okay, you're the one going, ah, oh, ah, right? And of course, uh, leather feet over here. <laughs> Oh, I had to. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, Arkansas girls, you know, they, you know, walk around their bare feet everywhere. I, I don't know. But <laughs> they're prepared for it, right? The idea of seeing, uh, I'm not sure like, uh, whose kids it was. It's probably a Russell kid. I don't know where they are. Seeing them like run to climb a tree barefooted just makes me want to cry. Like, that would hurt so bad, but their feet are tough, right? There is a toughness. There's a preparation 
it, oh my goodness, it's like a maturity process that takes place when you go through discomfort. It hurts at first, it bleeds a little bit, it's painful. When you keep going, it begins to toughen you up a little bit. It begins to prepare you for more challenging things. What you have to understand is this. This room, these people are supposed to be your preparation for following Jesus. This is where we learn. This is where we grow into walking in the kingdom. The church of God is not supposed to be perfect. It's not a perfect picture of the kingdom. It's like a preschool. <laughs> we aren't quite there yet, okay? Lots of poopy pants and fights and, you know, crying. Kids want to take their ball and go home, but, you know, <laughs> have mercy. What's bad is when faces fly in your head when you're saying these things. Nope. Because what's funny is, the face that comes in the most is my own face. Yeah, that's okay. Okay, that was funny to me. I've been through all these different things. What happens is that this is the place that God puts us to grow up. It's the only safe place for us to learn how to follow Jesus. If you cannot learn to walk in love, in patience, self-control, compassion, Forgiveness, in this place, you will not be able to walk that out in the world. The entire idea is that we would represent the kingdom of heaven in every place that we go. But it's here that we have to learn how to live as if we're in the kingdom of heaven. It's here that we have to practice it out. Ephesians 4 which we read this morning, that uh, those 16 verses are all about how the church of Ephesus had constantly been fighting. There was so much turmoil in that church. And he was saying, you don't get it. This is part of the process. This is where you learn to bear with each other, to be patient with each other, to forgive each other. It's, it's the leaders amongst you in the process of being around each other. When you combine this with the Spirit of God, it becomes this process that begins to mature everyone in the room. The only way to fail at church is to step out. It's the only way to fail. You can be a jerk and be mean and be just awful. And that's expected. Did you hear me? The moment this church starts behaving perfectly, I know there's something wrong with us. No, I'm serious. The moment that we begin to behave perfectly, I know that we've stopped birthing, if you would, baby Christians. The moment that, that, that everyone in here is, is, you know, everything's going great, I know either one, we're faking it, okay, or two, we've stopped birthing young ones into the church. The entire point is that there's people throwing up and crying and whining and, you know, Poop in their pants. That's the way the church is supposed to work. We're supposed to have the mature and the immature in the same place. We don't take the mature and say, okay, you've grown up, or we're going to move you on. To me, that makes more sense, right? That's the way the school system works, right? <laughs> I have senior high kids in there with babies, but 
That's not the way the church works. The church works, we just put them all in the same thing. Um, have you guys ever put shoes in the dryer before? How about coins or rocks? Or if you guys have kids, rocks end up, right? And so, like, it's, it turns on you just here. Do-doom, 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 right? Yes, yes, you guys have heard it, okay? And, of course, you walk in the room and, like, the dryer's moving across the floor. That is the way the church is supposed to work. Some of us are just some really nice kind of, I'm not sure what I was going to say. I was going to say suede shirts, but I'm, we'll say uh, uh, suede shirts. Let's go, yeah, I have no idea where that came from. Some of you guys are work boots. No one's a work boot today, okay. Some of you guys are rocks and coins and lint. old receipts, and this process is where we just sit and we just kind of be in tumble for a while. Do-doom, do-doom, do-doom. But this is how we grow up. It's how we learn. You will go from a place as a Christian to where you don't know what, what's up and what's down. You have no idea what's going on. You will hurt, wear out, offend, frustrate every single person that you come in contact with. Okay, I'm going to hand this person off to you. I've been on the phone with them for six hours. <laughs> so would you like to call Pastor Zach? <laughs> Great. Tag, you're it. <laughs> we will be at that place at some, sometimes. Then you will find yourself at a place to where you've learned to control yourself. You're like a teenager. You have found a way to take care of yourself, your own needs, you know, you feed yourself, you dress yourself, wipe your own butt, right? Awesome. That's good for us. We don't have to do that for you anymore. But you're only able to, you're only able to take care of yourself. The next step of maturity is where you're able to take care of yourself, but now you're able to, to take care of others. And now it's your job in this family, in this dryer to do it's your job to go, you know, to hold the crying babies, to put out the fights, to clean the diapers, and that's your job. But you have to understand that it will always be this way. We call this the imperfect church for imperfect people. I'm sorry, the perfect church for imperfect people. I haven't said that in a long time. And what happens in this is that this will only be the perfect church for you if you realize that the whole point is that it's imperfect. The whole point of the church is that it's constantly doing this and that we'll always be doing this. And the only choice that you have is, am I in or am I out? That's it. So what happens is this. The church is where we are prepared for kingdom living. And we get prepared by the Spirit and by the sharp edges of the brothers and sisters around us. Practically, this looks like compromised personal space, meaning for up to me, I would just have enough separation from everyone to where it just felt just right. But in this process, people get too close for comfort. It also takes place when we carve out time for each other. 
It takes place whenever we, we learn to invest in people who are different than us. And it takes place when we learn to speak the truth and love to each other. But guess what? We also learn how to listen to truth being spoken to us in love. One of the signs that you're growing up in Christ is that someone who loves you is able to, to, to walk up to you and say something that just cuts you right to the heart. You know what, Devin? I love you, but you really offended me when you did this. You probably didn't mean to, but you were being very prideful when you did this, Devin. You're normally a great leader, Devin, but you made a terrible decision right here. You are growing up when you begin to not see people around you as enemies. When you have someone around you who is just, oh, they are the pain in your butt. When you begin to see them not as a problem, when you begin to say, okay, how, what role can I do to help this person continue to grow? You're growing. And then when you begin to look at everyone around you, every interaction, every phone call, text, meal, conversation, and you allow it to help you grow. Um, who's played pinball before? Yeah, okay. The idea is that there's all these objects which have the, have the ability to put the pinball down, right? It's the ability to send it out and the game's over. But if you're good at the game, you learn how to nudge it. <laughs> right. Smack it, nudge it, hit it. Okay, right. And you find a way to use all these, the, the impact, the bouncing, the, 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 the rubbing, all these things that would normally take the pinball and send it back down, you learn how to use these things to propel you to where you want it to go. Make sense? And what happens is all these confrontations and these awkward situations and these people who frustrate you and, these, and someone telling you something that really hurts about you and all these things that would normally just destroy you, you learn how to roll off of them and bounce off them, bounce. And all of a sudden, you learn that when you yield to the Spirit of God, all these things that you saw as your enemies, as problems, as issues, as things that made your life awful, you learn these are the things the Spirit of God uses to grow you up. If you guys read the epistles, read the letters of Paul, every one of them has correction involved in it. And it's always to do with how people get along. Because every church had issues. Every church had fighting and disagreements and frustrations and people who wanted to leave and, and they wanted to go do something different. And every time he was saying, no, you come back here. No, you stop. No, you get, get back here right now. This is the way it's supposed to work. If you guys have your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Now, in this passage, 
They're using the story of Moses, the idea that when Moses was, he was in the presence of God, and that when he was in there, the glory of God, it filled him and changed him in such a way that when he left the tent of meeting, his face was glowing, and it freaked everybody out. And what they're saying here is that for us, we know, we know that God is spirit, and that right now, since we don't have the physical Jesus with us, we, you know, we don't have the, the glory cloud anymore with us, what happens is as we begin to encounter Jesus by His Spirit, it transforms us and molds us. And the more that we take Him in, the more that we are molded to look like Him. Now what's so tricky about this is you have to understand that the image of God, God is visible now in Jesus. We know what God is like because we know what Jesus is like. What's so tricky about this is that now that Jesus doesn't walk and talk anymore, okay? Well, he does. He's just not here. That's terrible. Bad theology. He does, just not here. Since we can't sit with Jesus, we say, okay, well, how do we encounter Jesus now? And what's so interesting about this verse is that we know now that Jesus is manifest in three places. One, by the Holy Spirit, because we know that prior to Jesus, the Holy Spirit was manifest in Jesus, and now Jesus is manifest in the Spirit. Secondly, He's manifest. We find Him. We see Him in the Scriptures. And third, the Spirit is manifest in His body. Jesus is made visible where? Right here. And see, they understood that. That's what they would sit down and they would start their worship service, if you would, would start with a meal. The idea is, is to encounter God in you. Encounter Him in, in laughing, in jokes, in conversation, in stories. Encounter Him in conflict, in resolution. How in the world, if we had problems, we would just fight it out. One would win, one would lose. Or we would just separate. But in the kingdom, we, we collide and the Spirit of God brings us into reconciliation. And it's a sign and a wonder because this doesn't happen in the world. It's a sign that God is real. And so all the bits and parts of church that we want to throw out, which is mostly each other, let's just be honest, church is easier if it's just us doing it with God, right? These are all the crucial bits. I guarantee you that the people in this room who are the most spiritually mature are the ones who have learned to go through conflict and trouble and frustration and fighting with people and stay in deep relationship with them. I guarantee you, those are the most mature ones in this room. That's the way it works. We had a guest come here this year that he and I see nothing alike. We are absolutely different in almost every way. We had a phone call that would freak most of you out. Serious disagreement. So we talked it out, we wrestled it out, we said, I love you, let's pray about it, let's call again. We did it again, and we wrestled some more. Then we drove in the car, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I want to love you, but I just can't, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jesus loves you. But we allowed the Spirit of God to work because we knew the way that it works. We knew that Jesus was found in each other. 
And so it took time and energy, but I allowed myself to grow off of this person who I found to be just... And I am that much more mature for it. I am this much farther in growing and following Jesus because of this man and his willingness to allow Jesus and the Spirit of God to just da-doom, da-doom, da-doom. What you have to understand is this. As humans, we are all made in the image of God. As Christians, we are called to reflect the image of Christ. Imagine Plato, if you would, right? There is, in this rough image I've got here, yes, there's God in that. But there is a process of submitting to the Spirit of God, the Scriptures of God, and the church of God, the people, that allows us to get more refined. The edges get shaved. There's some chipping that goes on. There's some hammering that goes on. There's some sanding that goes on. And the more detailed image of Christ is formed in us. And there is no way to get there without these people in this room. It's impossible. The people that I know in my life who I can say love God with all their heart are extremely called and gifted but will never reach their potential are all the people I know who have separated themselves from the church. God loves them. They love God but they have stopped growing. You will not grow in isolation. If you're taking notes, write it down. You will not grow in isolation. You will only grow weaker. If you want to grow, here's what you need to do. Find people in this church and spend time around them. Find a place in this church and serve. Here's why. Because it's hard. And it's frustrating. And people are imperfect. And no one's going to do things the way that you want them to do. No one's going to be the perfect friend for you. You will get let down by people in this room. Disappointed by them. Frustrated with them. Angry with them. Guess what? Expect it. But there's something different about what happens in this place than what happens anywhere else. When it happens in this place, when we are intentional, the Spirit of God is at work at the same time. It's not just conflict. It's not just a bad day. It's not just frustration. It's not just a meal. It's not just serving. It's not just working. It's not just these things. It's these things plus the Spirit is at work in us. And there is some chipping happening, some hammering, some sanding, and what's happening is we are maturing. The most mature person in this room should be unable to be offended. I'm getting there. Don't test me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And it should hurt. You should love the people in this room enough to where they can hurt you. It's one thing to be in a room. It's one thing to eat with people. It's one thing to serve. But to do it with your walls down. It's when you get your walls down, it's when you're willing to be vulnerable that the Spirit of God works. That's where the grace of God is at work because we cannot forget it's in our weakness that His power is made perfect. When you are willing to be vulnerable, when you're willing to care about people, to care about their opinion, about their words, about their actions with you. I was a master 
at being around people and not caring about anybody. Having all my walls up, I could talk to you, be around you, but I did not need you. But the moment you put your walls up and you begin to need people and to care about people, that's when they begin to hurt you, on purpose and on accident. But when you begin to allow that process to happen, and you begin to, when you get hurt, when you get offended, when you get frustrated, when you get disappointed, when you get discouraged, when you begin to lean on the Spirit of God, and you say, help me grow in this. Help me forgive. Help me love this person. Help me, what can I learn? What else can I do to help this person, even though nothing in me wants to do that? That's when all of a sudden, you'll turn around and realize how much growth has taken place in you. Amen? Would you guys stand with me this morning? We're going to end service with uh, the Eucharist, the love feast. Obviously, it's already 12 o'clock, so we don't have time for everyone to, you know, sit around for four hours. We might do that one day, but not today. Um, as we do this, understand that, you know, the first thing the Scriptures tell us about, about the Eucharist, about communion. The only real caveat, there's two things that the Apostle Paul teaches us when it comes to the table. First of all is this. There must be no discrimination. Meaning when you come to the table, you're not just coming to be with Jesus. You're not just coming to be with Jesus and a few people. You're coming to encounter Jesus and to worship and share this with everyone present. And the second one is this. When we come, we must search our hearts. If there's any offense in us, we must lay it down because the, the first step of following Jesus is laying everything down. It's the first step. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you just to allow this time as, as, we, go, as we kind of go into worship and everything, allow this time, allow the Holy Spirit to search you. If there's anything you need to lay down, do it. Wrestle with it. Think about it. Process it. Father, we come to you today. We love you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to be at work. Even as we come to receive communion, we ask you to work in our hearts.